0: Several years ago, I had the opportunity to visit one of my cousin's Little League baseball games one afternoon. I was running a few minutes late and when I arrived, he was sitting in the dugout. And I leaned forward and I said, what's the score? Cousin turned around, responded and said, 24 to nothing, we're behind. My heart sank. I mean, how do you respond to that, right? So I tried to put on a smile and be compassionate and said, Wow, that's really hard. I bet you're disappointed. There's always the next game. My cousin, my young cousin, turned back to me and said, Why would I be disappointed? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. My young cousin seemed to understand hope, right? He did not let the present circumstances dictate his understanding of hope. He refused to allow the lived reality of 24 runs behind to destroy the hope that he had. And in today's text out of the book of Revelation that Bill just read for us is also about hope. For the early readers of this book had seemingly lost their vision for the future. The Roman oppressors had came upon them and made them feel like they didn't have a future. The future looked bleak. They felt isolated, but it is into this very situation that God speaks. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people's. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away, and the one who is seated on the throne sits See, I am making all things new. You and I know things aren't the way they're supposed to. Sickness, death, and suffering thrive. Chaos and calamity surround us. Many of us have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And as we look around our world, it seems like we are down by more than just 24 runs in the first inning. For some of us, as we look into our families, or maybe even our very It seems like there's not much to be hopeful for. Yet, this view of the future that John offers us is beautiful. It is a view of hope. And this Spirit carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord is its light, and its lamp is the lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. God is basically saying, I am I am present. I have not given up on the world. I have not abandoned you and your suffering. I am indeed making all things new. And I am choosing to dwell right here, right now, with you. And yet I'm not yet here fully. For there will come a point in time in which I redeem and restore all of my creation. And on that day, there will be no more pain. No more death. No more mourning. And no more crying. There will be no need for the sun, for my glory will shine through me unto all of my creation. And I will redeem and I will restore the creation that I created to be good in the first place. My gates will never be shut. The world will not perish. It will not be burned up into flames, but it will be redeemed through this is John's vision of the eschaton, of the end of the world. And yet the book of Revelation can be a challenging text for Christians to interpret. It is written in an interesting style for us. It is not a gospel, not a letter, not words of wisdom, not a book of worship, but it is apocalyptic literature. The last time I spoke on Revelations here at Bethel, a number of Months ago, I suggested think of Revelation as like half the Daily Show with John Stewart and half Stephen King novel, right? Into one, this is Revelation. The text is meant to pull back the veil to expose the truth, opening up our lives to new and deeper understandings about ourselves, God, and the world. In this vision, this vision of hope that that John gives us is not envisioned as a rapture to God out of the suffering of the world or a retreat back to nature, but this vision that we are given is a city in which God resides coming toward us. The cities that the early readers of Revelation had seen were evil places, places of temptation and compromise, places of persecution and suffering. In fact, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 13, cities were sometimes even called the throne of Satan. And in Revelation 18, John has called the churches to come out of the city of Babylon. Get it again. Salvation is envisioned as the life of an inhabited city. And in our own cities, while at times may be places of joy, are often marked with brokenness, poverty, violence, and evil. And John's vision reminds us that those are not God's will. And these things, too, by God's grace, will be redeemed. This is the hope that began with the creation of the world. This is the hope that is made known through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. This is the hope of our salvation. Our God is a God of hope, even when we're down 24 runs in the first thing. God is not found merely in running away from our brokenness. God is found in the midst of brokenness, a broken body for a broken people. God is found in the embrace of the world, not the escaping of the world. We no longer need to be whole and complete. We no longer have to have all the answers. We can embrace mystery because of the hope of this vision. For we are not ignored. We are not abandoned. We are not left to our own devices. We are not stuck in the same repetitive cycles and systems of sin. God offers us salvation freely. This is our Salvation is first and foremost about a relationship with God. Drawing near to God because God has drawn near to us. God has created us. God has invited each of us into a deeper relationship. Salvation is also about relationships with one another. We cannot walk the Christian life alone. Just last Sunday, Pastor Esther shared the only new commandment that Jesus ever added to the Torah. John chapter 13, verse 34. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Salvation is first and foremost rooted in a relationship with God, but it plays itself out in relationships with one another. This week, I read a parable that was a scandalous parable. Christian author and activist Phil Harrison wrote this parable after leaving Mass one day. He says, I dreamed that I had died and went to heaven. And as I was walking to the pearly gates, I saw St. Peter with his book of life open. And he said, hey, Phil, great to see you. We've been expecting you. Please come on in. And he opens the gates. And Phil says, just as I was about to step into heaven, I looked back, and I noticed some of my friends. Some Hindus, some Muslims, some Buddhists. Turning to St. Peter, I asked him, what about them? What about my friends? St. Peter replied, you know then, Phil Harrison says, I thought of my reference. Jesus, the outsider. Jesus, the homeless. Jesus, without a biological father. Jesus, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the one who stood with those in the fringes of society. Jesus, the one who would always stay with those who are oppressed. And he said, you know what? I'll just stay. He wraps up his parable by saying, St. Peter immediately broke the smile and said, at last, at last, you finally understand. For God so loved the world that God forsook heaven for the sake of the world. While salvation is about, firstly, our relationship with God, it also includes our relationships with one another. John's vision is a city full of people. I don't get an individual paradise where me and Jesus are best buds. I get a city full of every nation and every tribe, every language and every race, the people I like and even the people that I don't like. Every aspect of people I agree with. The people I disagree every aspect of community, will be redeemed according to John's vision. This vision is one of people fully embracing life together. The new Jerusalem descends from God. In John's vision, the final hope is not just that we go to heaven when we die, Salvation is not, as soon as we pass away, pulling the cord and having the divine escape hatch catapult us into a completely different existence. For John, salvation is not us going to die, but God coming to us. For John, salvation does not mean that Jerusalem, which was destroyed by Rome, will be rebuilt, because salvation is not found in any place. Salvation is found only in... We often speak of salvation as going to heaven. But this is only true if we realize that heaven simply means dwelling in and with the triune of God. John makes it clear that the new heaven and the new earth are descending to us. That it's not a destroying of the old, but it is a redeeming, a restoring of the old. He continued by saying that the sea will be no more. The Mediterranean Sea was the source and the operational base for the evil forces lined up against God and God's people. It is from the sea that the beast, the personification of the empire's deadly reach, had come. The sea was the location of Rome's unjust slave trade. It was over the sea that Babylon had ruled as a tyrant. is that with the sea removed, there is no chance that the world will slip away again into the nightmare of sin. It is in this vision that God removes all the evils of the world, and we dwell in and with God. And as we dwell in and with God, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The connection to the former things passing away is The promise is not only that God will wipe away any tears that might happen to linger on our cheeks after the last day, but that God will reach back through time and wipe away all the painful tears that have ever been shed. That God will not just comfort us and help us to forget the bad things, but that God will redeem the whole broken story of human history. This the hope of Revelation. This is John's vision, that salvation is coming. Salvation cannot come for me alone as long as the awful effects of my sins continue to ripple through God's created world. The promise here is that the chain reaction of human sin will be ended and that all the tears will be wiped away. The tears that God wipes away are not only the tears that we have shed, but also the tears that you and I have caused. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler again. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, Shall be satisfied. Earth and heaven be one. Earth and heaven be one. What a powerful line. This is the hope. Even when we're down, 24 runs in the first day. I wonder if the writer of this game had just read Revelation 21 and 22. Earth. I dwell among works. I am making all things new. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. To some have read this text and justified inaction in regards to caring for our creation. It's actually a pastor by the name of Mark Driscoll who is quoted as saying, I know who made the environment. He's coming back and he's going to burn it all up. So yes, I drive an SUV. The focus of this vision is not that everything will be burned up and replaced by new and different things. The focus is that everything will be restored not replaced. Our broken bodies will become whole again. The leaves provide healing for the nation. God's creation through the power and presence of God will heal God's creation. This is the hope. God is not replacing the world but redeeming it. God is faithful and creation, will not be abandoned, discarded, or burned up. Therefore, we as a part of God's creation will also not be abandoned, discarded, or burned up. In today's text, we find hope for the entire world, all of God's creations, and the assurance that God refuses to give up on God's creation. We do not create this new heaven and this new earth. It does not come from us, but it is a gift of God. And yet we have opportunities to bear witness to it. Sometimes living in this hope seems naive. Sometimes it seems ridiculous and other times even more foolish. Every once in a while, it seems truer than anything we've ever experienced. And herein lies our challenge. bearing witness to a promise that we cannot always see and that we desperately hope will come. Every week we pray, send us out to do the work you've given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Bearing witness to a promise that we cannot always see. And we desperately hope will come. Even when it looks like the world is down by more than 24 in the first one. That's what makes this text so difficult, because it has not yet happened. This faith requires hope. It is a risk. It is a gamble, and it might sound crazy to have the hope and the courage to live into and bear witness to this promise. And we cannot do it in our own strength. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit when it manifests itself in our lives that we are able to bear witness to live into this promise and to have this hope. Listen to this poem by Deborah Ann entitled Take Heart. Take heart lest you become weary, for I'll never forsake you, though so things may be dreary. Take heart when troubles come your way, for I came to give you peace by shedding light on your way. Take heart when worry's at your door, for I came to give you hope and a new life forevermore. Take heart when burdens laid in you, for I will lead and guide you on what you need to do. Take heart when disappointments mount, for I came to encourage you on me, you can always count. And so we hope. And so we take heart. Even though we don't always see, And even though others may think that we are naive, foolish, and ridiculous. We hope. We take heart because this is our Father's Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. In earth and heaven be one. So we hope. So we take hope. And so we live into this future because we believe God has not given up on the world. God refuses to abandon us and leave us in our suffering. The very God that would leave and forsake heaven for the sake of you and me is unwilling. Our lives. And so we hope. We take heart. God is not given up on the world. God is indeed still at work, making beautiful things out of it.